there's probably some folks in here and this, you know, that, that you're going, I don't know about this. What does it mean to share faith? What does it mean for me to share uh, this good news? And, and why are we doing that? And, and the answer is this, is we share our faith and we want to talk about the gospel and tell as many people as we can about Jesus because for those of us who are Christ followers, we have found that it is the absolute best way to live our lives. It's the best way to, to find satisfaction in our, our relationships, in our work, and to have that spiritual assurance that we know we, are, we belong to God and we are God's and will be for eternity. And that's an amazing way to live our, our life. It's, it's an incredibly freeing way to live our life, which is why I think in the New Testament, this, this message, this, this gospel uh, that word gospel simply means good news. Good news that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to, to save us from our sins so that way we could be with Him forever. And as I thought about good news, I started just thinking about news in general, all kinds of news, good news, bad news, fake news. I mean, all of these things. Um, and it struck me that we've got this obsession with bad news. Like, we love bad news. Like, people, you know, you see something running on the screen. They've even done tests in psychological labs. And, and if, if the story seems depressing, we're more drawn to it. And not only are we more drawn to it, but we remember it more, and it sticks with us longer. There's just something in us that, that I, it's a sickness, I think, that craves bad news. But when it comes to good news... We're, we don't believe it often. I mean, have you ever heard some good news that you did not believe up front? I mean, like, you're like, oh, no, that sounds too good to be true. I don't think I could believe that. I mean, we've all been there. Nobody wants to raise their hand. Maybe because it was, you know, she said, yes, she would go out with you. And you didn't really believe that uh, until she actually got in the car with you. And you're like, all right, this is, this is happening. We're going to do this. This is going to be great. Uh, maybe you got good news about getting into a school and you were hoping to, you know, get into the uh, Harvard of Kentucky, you know, WKU, and you just couldn't believe it until you got that letter. And then even then you were afraid, like, you might get there. Maybe they send it to somebody else, you know, that had also the same last name as Zirkelbach or something like that. And you just couldn't believe that that was supposed to come to you. Or maybe it was a job. You, you applied for a job, and they're like, yeah, you can start on Monday. And you started to think, like, well, what does that mean, start on Monday? Maybe they're like, start looking for another job on Monday. And, and it wasn't until you got there and you actually got that first paycheck that you really believed the good news. Now, I grew up in California, and there's sort of this tall tale that runs around California, and they teach this in the schools. And I've not been able to verify if this is true or not. Uh, but there's some news that came out of California uh, back in the 1800s about these giant trees. They're called the giant sequoias. Anybody seen the giant sequoias? They're pretty spectacular. Those of you that haven't, I do have a couple pictures here. This is from uh, two summers ago. Uh, these are my kids at the base of this tree. Now, I talk to people in Kentucky about the trees, and they're like, I've seen big trees. Um, friends, listen, these are like 30-story buildings. I mean, that's, these are skyscrapers, okay, friends? So this is the base of one of the shorter trees. It's the kids. Uh, the next one, this is the top of, I think this one's the General Grant tree. Uh, it's got about the same circumference as the ones that the kids were at. And the pictures just really don't do it justice. Uh, one more picture. This tree actually fell over, and because of the kind of wood they are, bugs don't like to eat them. And so it's been laying on the ground for, they figure, a little over 100 years. And you can walk through, and you can see all the way at the end, uh, those are people, and that's, I mean, that's how massive these trees are. 
And these trees really are a sight to see, and if you ever get a chance to see them, you'll, you'll want to do that. Uh, but when they were first discovering, you know, the, the western uh, part of, of our country, and they, they got into California, they started taking pictures of these trees and sending them back in the news, and nobody believed them. And what, uh, one of the stories that they tell is that the Missouri, you know, the show me state, that one of the reasons they're called that is because they said, I've got to see this tree before I can believe it. And so uh, what enterprising individuals did is they cut down these trees that, had, you know, it took a thousand years to grow that tall, but, you know, we're going to end that right now. And so they would, they would cut this thing down and then they would cut it into sections and load it on a train and ship it out to the West so that way people could see and then believe the tree, you know, because that way, you know, seeing was believing. But, you know, skeptical people and people from Missouri in general, uh, you know, they have a hard time accepting these kinds of things. And so they looked at them put together. I'm sorry if you're from Missouri. I lived there for a little while. Um, they put these trees together and people are like, that's not real. You cut up a bunch of trees and stuck them together. And so even that didn't work. And that just underlines the point, doesn't it? That we have a hard time accepting and believing good news. And when it comes to Jesus, you would think that that would be like the easiest sell in the world, right? God loves people so much that even though people sinned and even though people did things that that broke his heart and violated uh, an agreement, a covenant that they had with, with God, that you would think that this idea that God sent his own son to pay the price so that way we could go to heaven and live with him forever, and all we've got to do is accept Jesus Christ and believe in him. If we could just, I mean, you would think that that would be like a no-brainer. People would be lining up uh, around the, the block and down the street saying, where do I sign? But the truth is, there's a lot of people that are skeptical and doubt, and maybe that's you, and you're going, I don't know about this. And so when it comes for us as, as Christ followers, those of us who are Christ followers, to share the gospel, we're sort of facing an uphill battle. Uh, Paul is going to talk about this. Paul is an early evangelist. He's an early church planner, philosopher, theologian, and he talks about how hard it is to share the gospel. And as a matter of fact, he's going to say that sharing the gospel, for those of us who are interested in really taking that seriously, it's going to require some sacrifice. For Paul, that meant sacrificing his safety, it meant sacrificing his health. It meant eventually giving his own life so that way he could proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about who Jesus was. Here's what he writes in Colossians 1.24. He says, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Paul here is telling us why suffering is necessary. He says, listen, he says, there's a, a sense in which Christ sacrificed his sufferings. It, it's not enough to take the message to other people. Now, Christ's sacrifice and his suffering is enough to forgive us of our sins. But Paul says, it's not enough for me to just go tell people, you know, to, to roll into a town and, you know, come in on a sedan chair that's carried by servants and people fanning me and feeding me, you know, peeled grapes and saying, there's a God who loves you so much he sent his son to suffer and die and he wants us all to pick up our crosses. There's something that seems very disingenuous about that. Paul says that it's through his sacrifice, that through his own sufferings, he is presenting the gospel to other people. He says, when I go to these towns and, and they run me out of town on a rail, or, or they, they flog me, or they stone me, he says, what I am showing to them is the depth of my commitment and the depth of the truth of the gospel. He says, sometimes sharing the gospel requires sacrifice. In other words, Paul says this. He says that in order to share the gospel, sometimes we've got to invest 
in other people before we can invite them. We've got to invest in other people before we can invite them. Paul, for him, that investment meant that he had to go to these places and sometimes he had to suffer so that way people could see the truth of the gospel lived out in his life. And for us, it, it might mean the same kinds of things, or it might be a little bit less. Uh, but this is part of, of what we're trying to do here at Bowling Green Christian Church is, is to be people that are bringing others to know who God is. I just want to bring the house back up. This is kind of what we're trying to do here at the church, sort of our mission. We are hoping that everything we do at Bowling Green Christian Church is covered by the love of God. That's the roof there. We want to make sure everything we do is covered by that. And then, you know, we gather once a week sort of in the house. That's us right now. And we want to encourage each other to be a little bit more like Jesus. But we didn't, you know, get saved because somebody just stayed inside the house and didn't tell us about the message. No, somebody had to share that message with us which is why we've got two steps leading out of the house. Sometimes for people, all you got to do is just tell them, say, hey, listen, Jesus loves you, and he died on the cross for you, and he wants you know, to, to be your friend forever is what we tell our kids. And people are like, yeah, I want that. But there's other times, Paul says, you've got to take one more step out of the house, and you've got to serve. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to invest in people in order for them to be able to take that next step and finally come to know who God is and for them to be covered under the love of God. Because some people just can't accept the truth about Jesus at face value. They've got to see Jesus in your own life, which is why it's important for us when we think about sharing the gospel that we remember we've got to invest in others sometimes before we can invite them to know Jesus. Paul's investment, it cost him his life, but for most of us, it's going to probably mean something like we give up uh, you know, part of our Saturday to, to visit with folks or to help them out, or it might mean that we give up part of, of a lunch uh, to, to have lunch with a friend or a coworker who's struggling, or it might mean that you know, we give up an evening to get together with some folks that we love and care about, and we want the very best for them, and that means we want them to come and experience the life that Jesus can offer them. There's going to be some sacrifice involved. It's a sacrifice. It's this investment that's required. And one of those sacrifices and one of those investments is us being transparent. It's us being real. Sharing the gospel requires transparency. Listen to how Paul describes this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, I serve the church. God appointed me to bring all of His Word to you. That Word contains the mystery that has been hidden for many ages, but now it has been made known to God's people. God has chosen to make known to them the glorious riches of that mystery. He has made it known among those who aren't Jews. And here is what it is. Christ is in you. He is your hope of glory. Paul says that his job, his mission is to take this good news, this this beautiful message that Christ is in us now and filling us with his life and filling us with his love. And he says, that's what I've been called to do, to share. But notice that, that little preposition, that little word there. It says that Christ is in you. Christ is in you. And so we might ask this logical question, how does Christ get to somebody else out of me unless I open up? I mean, if Christ is going to get out of me, if, if, if Christ is going to get into somebody else's life, doesn't that mean I have to open up? Doesn't that mean that I, as an individual, have to be transparent and real about what God is doing in my life and where God is at work in my life? Doesn't it mean that I've got to be willing to show some people the things that God has done in me? You see, this transparency is an investment, and we share the gospel when we invest in others and invite them to know Jesus I ran across a story about this family who uh, lived in a neighborhood, kind of one of those suburbs that I know a lot of folks live in, and uh, their house was robbed, 
and it was, you know, kind of gone through the neighborhood, and folks had heard about this robbery that had happened, and, and they weren't home, thankfully. They had just taken some of the stuff in the house, and, and, and you know, that kind of thing's a real violation of your privacy. It's a real violation of your sense of security, and it left the family rattled. It left the kids rattled and left a lot of people in the neighborhood that they thought this is a safe place. It left them kind of rattled, too. And so what this family did, they, they were Christ followers, and they, they, the mom and dad, they sort of had this perspective that, you know what, what's happened to us could actually turn into something good. And so they put out, they had a big uh, online messaging board for the neighborhood, and they invited the entire neighborhood. They said, you know, we want you all to come to our house uh, on this Sunday afternoon, and we're going to grill out, and we've got hot dogs and hamburgers for as many people as want to come, and we're just going to spend some time together and just sort of celebrate us being together in a community, in a neighborhood. And a lot of people showed up, over 100 people showed up, and, and uh, it was an amazing time for them as they talked about this to be able to share that, you know what, they still had a lot of hope because they knew that God had been watching out for them, that their family had been preserved, and it was an incredible testimony for them to be able to share. But the question we might ask is, is how could they have shared that if they hadn't been willing to be transparent and, and be honest about the fact, man, this happened and this rattled us and this, this caused us to, to, to lose some sleep. But we believe that God is helping us. We've got to be transparent if we're going to share the gospel. The second thing, or the third thing we've got to remember is this, is that we share the gospel of Christ with the power of Christ. You know, we don't do this on our own. And, and, and it's not my job or your job to save anybody. Only Jesus can do that. And so when we share the gospel and we, we're investing in people and inviting them to know Jesus, what we've got to realize is that it's ultimately up to God and to them. They've got to make that choice. You know, there's a handful of people I know who don't go to church. Uh, all of my coworkers uh, are, are, are Christ followers. I mean, I work at a church, crying out loud. Um, so your coworkers might need Jesus. Mine have found him already, and that's pretty awesome. Um, but there are a handful of people I know that don't know Jesus. And I, honestly, I wish I knew more. And, and so the folks I know that, that don't know who Christ is, don't have a relationship with Him, I try to get together with them regularly. Uh, well, one, because I like them and we're friends. And the other is because I, I want the very best for them. And I want them to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And so we get together and we talk and, and we have conversations and we spend time together because I want to make sure that I have invested in them and here's what I know, is that I can only show up and be there. Uh, the rest of it's kind of up to God. And so I always have this prayer when I'm going to meet somebody that I know doesn't know who Christ is, and I know I'm hoping for us to have a, a faith conversation. I'll say this, God, listen, I'm going to meet this person, and I, I want you to draw them close to you. And if there's an opportunity here for me to be a part of that plan, if there's an opportunity for me to to share something that you've done in my life, Lord, will you help me to, to know when that is and what it is to say, and would you then give me the courage to say it? Uh, and that's kind of it. And I say, God, but the rest of this is really going to be up to you because I can't save anybody. That's, that's your job. And that's where I kind of leave it. I just try to invest in people. I try to make sure that I'm partnered with God, connected with God, because ultimately it is their choice and it is God who changes the heart. But that doesn't mean that I can't be investing and inviting them to come to know Jesus. Because I know that I share the gospel when I invest in others and invite them to come to know who Christ is. Paul describes it this way. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He says, we preach about him. And notice what he says. He says, with all the wisdom we have, 
In other words, this is a thoughtful, careful process. With all the wisdom we have, we warn and teach everyone. When we bring them to God, we want them to be perfect as people who belong to Christ. In other words, Paul says, I want the absolute best for these people. That's what I'm working for. I work hard with all of Christ's strength. His strength works powerfully in me. Notice that Paul is describing his ministry as an all-out thoughtful attempt to help people know who Jesus Christ is, but notice what he says. He does it all with Christ's strength that is inside of him because he knows that even when he's done all that he can do and he's said all the things that he can say and he's invested all that he's got to invest in other people, that ultimately it is Jesus who does the saving work. And that's what we need to remember. We need to be praying and inviting God into our relationships. We need to be praying and asking God to come and do the work in the lives of people that we love and know and want to come to know Christ. We need to make sure that we are doing what we can to invest in others who don't know Jesus. And then we need to be sure that we are inviting them when we have the opportunity to come to know who Christ is. And one of the easiest things we can do is invite people to come to church. You know, we have actually been spending a lot of time in our staff meetings uh, and, and planning uh, for the last six, six months or so to, to really make sure that we have structured our Sunday morning services and we're doing our ministry here at Bowling Green Christian Church in a way that is relevant and meaningful and fun for people who don't know who God is. I mean, that's what we want. We want this to be a church that unchurched people love to be a part of, and that's what we're working towards here. And so I just want you to know that when you invite somebody to church, we have been praying and we have been thinking about what does it mean for somebody who's just come in these doors, and maybe this is you here this morning, who's never experienced the love of Christ. We want to give the absolute best impression of this amazing God that we serve because God loves these people. God loves us. He loves me. He loves you. And he wants us all to come to know him. And we do all of this in humility because we know we're not perfect. We don't pretend to be perfect. We don't even pretend to have it together. We just want to be authentic and open and honest and real. That's important. All right, there is a personal benefit of sharing the gospel. Here's what it is. It's that when we share the gospel, our faith grows in power. Our faith will grow in power when we share the gospel. If you are thinking to yourself, you know, I just don't know that I'm a strong enough Christian to share the gospel. I don't know that my faith's strong enough to to do this. Well, let me tell you, try sharing the gospel once and you'll see your faith go up. Try inviting somebody to church once and you'll see your trust in God go up. Try just sharing what Jesus has done in your life with somebody and you will see your faith grow I think often our faith is, 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 is weak and at the risk of atrophying because we don't use it. We do nothing with it except come to church and sit down, and that doesn't require a lot of faith. What requires faith is to meet people where they are and to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. You know, the power of the gospel, it grows in us when we do that. The power of the gospel and the truth about Jesus, it grows in our church when we do that. You know, the gospel does not diminish the more we share it. Our faith does not, you know, get spread thin the more we lend it to other people. As a matter of fact, our faith grows and our our spiritual power grows when we start to see other people come and know who Jesus Christ is. You know, it, it is an immature and selfish believer who says, you know what, I I don't really want more people to come to know Jesus. Now, you might not say it like that, but you might say something like this. You know, I I hope our church doesn't get any bigger. I hope that we don't grow. I hope that, you know, we still have, you know, a small church. That way we can know everybody. Friends, here's the thing, is God wants everybody to come to know him. And so when we limit that and we say, God, you know, I, I like it how it is. You go deal with those people someplace else. 
that tells me that we've got a real problem in our hearts, and we're viewing the gospel as something for me as opposed to something for the entire world. You see, there's enough power in the gospel to bring everybody to heaven, and there's plenty of room, and there's plenty of places, and there's plenty of space for us all to enjoy the presence of our Heavenly Father for eternity. And who are these people? These are people that live in our community, that live in the city. These are people that are your neighbors and your friends and my neighbors and my friends and your coworkers, but not my coworkers, and the people you go to school with. I mean, these are the people that God wants to share this amazing message, this good news about Jesus Christ with. This is why Paul is coming to the Colossians. This is why he's writing to the Colossians. He writes this in Colossians chapter 2. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm working for you. Why? Because he wants their faith to grow. I'm concerned for you, for those who are in Laodicea. I'm also concerned for everyone who's not met me in person. I want their hearts to be made cheerful and strong. I want them to be joined together in love. Then their understanding will be rich and complete. They will know the mystery of God. That mystery is Christ. You see, Paul wants his testimony to be known among the church in Colossae and the church in Laodicea because he says, I want you to see how much struggling struggling I've been going through in order to bring people to Jesus Christ. He says, but I want you to know this is worth it. I wish everybody could, could meet me. I wish everybody could hear my story, he says, because it is an amazing thing to see what God has done in my life. God took me from being a murderer to being an evangelist. That's Paul's life story. He says, and he wants to do the same for everybody else. He, he wants them to see what's going on. Paul is spending this time. He says, I want to get to know you because I want to be invested in you so that way I can invite you to come to know who Jesus is. Now, now, this is kind of one of those things we can talk about, you know, maybe at an abstract level, but it's another thing when we start putting it, you know, what does this look like really? Sort of try to get the rubber to meet the road. Uh, John Crilly, he talks about a story in his own life of building a relationship with five uh, young Muslim men. Uh, These are men who uh, had come to uh, his country um, after being uh, refugees in uh, Kenya, and these were men who uh, came over on a plane with T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops and everything they owned in a little bag. And this is kind of their life story. And he says, our life stories were totally different. You know, he grew up Irish Catholic in Chicago, suburban neighborhood. And these are folks that had been born and grown up in a refugee camp. And he said, there just really couldn't have been much, you know, more difference than, than we had in our lives. You know, they're, they're, they're followers of Islam. He's follower of Christianity. And so how do you build that bridge between the two groups? Well, it, it's what we call investing, you know, asking questions, showing that you care, you know, just showing love in a practical way. And so he talks about how he picks these guys up and they're going to go to work and uh, he gets them in the pickup truck and they start talking a little bit in the back about praying. And he just asks this question, just, just this question. He says, how does a Muslim pray? And that's all he asks because he just wants to know. He wants to invest in these people. He wants to invest in this relationship. And and he just wants them to know that that he's in this with them. And so they start to talk and these guys open up and they start to talk about what it means for a a Muslim to pray and about the the five different salats of each day. And and each one's got something to talk about their prayer life and what that means. And, And then finally, as they get to their destination, one of them asks him, they said, what does it mean for a Christian to pray? And it's in that investment and in that question and in that building in that relationship that he's able to have a little bit of a conversation about who Jesus Christ is. 
Friends, that's what it looks like. You know, for Paul, Paul had to give up his life. Often we just have to give up a lunch hour. Often we just have to give up our pride and say, let's build this relationship. Let's see what happens. Let me invest in you. Let me invite you to know Jesus. And we'll leave the rest up to him, knowing that he's the one who does the saving because he loves us so very much. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for everybody that's here this morning. Uh, for, for the friends here that uh, are Christ followers, Lord, my brothers and sisters, I thank you for them. And I pray that you would give me and every believer in this room, Lord, the courage and the strength to share this amazing good news about who Jesus is. Uh, God, it is an amazing truth. It's sometimes hard to believe. And Lord, it requires us to sacrifice. It requires us to be transparent. But mostly, God, it requires us to lean into your power and to be available to you and ready for your use. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength to do that. And God, for the, the friends here that are not the Christ followers and haven't maybe quite found um, what it means to be a believer and follower of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you'd meet them right where they're at. And I pray that you would help them to see that what we so desperately want is nothing from them, but we want everything for them. We want eternal life and your blessing and your favor and the goodness that you've got for those that believe in you, Lord. We just, we want that for them. And so, God, I pray that you would meet them in that place in their heart and their mind and that you would do the amazing work in them that only you can do. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.